I'm making an assumption here, wildly speculating, as we like to say on the uh, Lions of Liberty podcast. We love to wildly speculate. Welcome to the Lions of Liberty podcast. Here is your host, your guide, your shining beacon of liberty, Mark Claire. Welcome back, my friends, to the Lions of Liberty podcast, episode number 77. Before I get to today's guest, I want to take a second to let you know about Health Excellence Select, an amazing alternative to Obamacare, which utilizes health sharing to cover your medical costs. Your fees go directly to pay the medical bills of others, not to some massive crony insurance company. To learn more, head to lionsofliberty.com slash health. Now, in today's show, we're going to do something a little different. We're going to try a little experiment, a new feature here, featuring one of our great contributors, the one and only John Odermatt. John, welcome into the show. What's going on, Mark? Great to be back with you. It is great to be back. It's, uh, it's been a little while. You weren't on our last Libertarians in Living Rooms Drinking Liquor show. I guess, uh, I guess you had something better to do. I don't, I don't possibly know what could be better than sitting around a microphone and, and drinking booze and talking about liberty, but uh, it's good to have you back on. And the reason I'm having you on for this episode is... It's to do a little something we're going to call The Felony Report. The Felony Report. That's right, it's The Felony Report. And the reason I'm bringing you on to do this feature is because you are the author, as fans of our website will know, of Felony Friday. It's a weekly column appearing at lionsofliberty.com every single Friday where you talk about all sorts of felonies. So... We're going to try to do this regular feature, maybe. I don't know. I haven't really thought about it. Every four weeks, every six weeks, whatever feels right. We'll see how it goes. But we want to take this time to sort of review some of your articles, talk about the concept of felonies, and how it really affects people when they are labeled a felon, when they become a felon, and what this word really means in our society. So, Odie, you just came to me and said, I'm just going to start writing this column. It wasn't, wasn't my idea. So why don't you start off by telling us, why did you start writing this Felony Friday column? What is the goal of this regular feature? Well, you know, I uh, needed something to write about, and it was a catchy name. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, probably I first started becoming interested in felonies and interested in the, the plight of felons and their difficulty being integrated back into society. When I lived in California, I lived in the Inland Empire and worked in a uh, it was a manufacturing facility, and you know, a lot of the employees that we went out and recruited had criminal records. A lot of them were felons. And that was really the only work that they could get making eight or nine or ten dollars an hour, whatever minimum wage was in California back then. And to meet a lot of these guys and to realize that they were just, you know, normal people, just like you or I, um, that they made a mistake and got caught for it. And by making a mistake, I mean they broke the law, you know, whether you agree with what the laws are or not, breaking the law and getting caught for it, you're going to pay the consequences. And a lot of these guys, you know, had families, were good people, and worked hard. And that, that was probably when I first became interested in the plight of felons. And then when I moved back to Pittsburgh, I got a uh, much closer to home hit. One of my, um, we'll just say, I don't want to name any names or, or people, so I'll say one of my friends. Um, Look at you, covering up for these felons already. Uh, covering up, but you know, I haven't asked no, permission to tell this story, so I'll of just course. keep it keep it general. We'll, we'll keep it anonymous. Keep it anonymous. Right on, right on. So one of my friends was in was in college at a school in Pennsylvania, and they were uh, you know maybe selling some uh, some illegal 
marijuana. And what happened was they ended up selling to an undercover cop. And the amount they sold to an undercover cop was a very, very small amount. It was like a, a gram or something like that. But after the one sale, rather than the undercover cop arresting this person right then, went back and increased the increments of the sales you know, to an eighth or up to an ounce or more than that, pretty much as much as this individual could, could get in order to get you know, the level of the crime up to a felony, pretty much. So eventually what happened, they ended up arresting this guy. And this is a, a college student that was you know, selling weed. I'm sure there's a lot of people on this podcast that can relate to at least knowing someone who did that or of someone who did that. And on this podcast, you mean me and you? <laughs> Not on the podcast. Listening to Everybody them. listening out there. Right? Not accusing you of anything. Because as we all know, you and I are squeaky clean. Yes, I, I've never done any of that in my life. But basically, it, it was a, a terrible situation. Um, he ended up spending... Maybe a year in jail, I want to say. Wow. Um, he's still on probation today. He, when he was released, he had to live in a halfway house. But really, the only saving grace that he had that it helped him to integrate back into society was his family supported him, friends supported him, were able to help him find a job. But without that, having that label of felon on his record, it's, it's hard to come back from that. As, as you and I know, Mark, the system is, you know, the criminal justice system is made to you know, keep these people in to suck them back in. So that's that's how I first got started. And it's great that he had that support system of his friends and family there, but a lot of these people that got arrested for these uh, relatively minor drug crimes, I think they're all pretty minor if it's not doesn't involve violence on another person. And, and I'm sure this person you're talking about is not a violent person. He was just someone who was in college and selling some weed. Like, like as, as many people in college probably know people that sold weed. And, you know, people don't realize that when they get that label felon attached to them, it really makes them an outcast in society. So if people don't already have that support base and people helping them integrate back into society, well, a lot of those people do end up like on the street not being able to get a job. And then at that point, they often have to turn back to selling drugs or back to some some sort of illegal enterprise much of which they might have learned and picked up while they were in jail, by the way, in order to just live, in order to feed themselves, or they're, God forbid, if they have kids they have to support, or something like that. So, I mean, it really, once you attach that label, felon to somebody, it really creates sort of this, this cycle in which many people can never get out of, and it can stem all from just one little mistake, as you say, or a mistake against the law, or, you know, doing something that at least the law sees as wrong, whereas people like us might not see what he was doing as specifically wrong, or as specifically good, even. I mean, I, he probably wasn't didn't have some really moral reason for why he's trying to get weed to people. It was just a way to make some money. But the fact that it's illegal, the fact that it is a felony to even possess marijuana in, in many states anyway, that, that is changing rapidly. That very fact is what made that person a criminal in the first place, whereas they weren't violent, they weren't harming other people, they weren't stealing from other people. In, uh, I guess, the liberty sense where we come from, this person shouldn't even be a felon at all. So I'm glad you started this column. I'm glad you are bringing attention to this issue. And I really like that phrase you used, uh, the, the plight of felons. I feel like that could be a book or a, a, a Twitter account or something. I don't, I don't know. But because um, there really is a plight of felons. And most people that are quote unquote felons are not bad people. They're not dangerous people. They're not harmful people. They're people that just for for some reason or another got that label attached to them, uh, you know, through some something they did, some mistake they made. You know, in their life. So I'm, I'm glad you're doing this and bringing attention to this issue. Uh, why don't we go a little bit into more detail about how, you know, getting that term felon attached to yourself can really affect your lives. What are some other ways besides just getting a job that being a felon can affect someone? There, there's a lot of ways. 
apparent and, and not apparent. One of the, my most popular Felony Friday articles I wrote in 2013, I think December 2013, asking if felons should have their Second Amendment rights restored. And you know that that post, I mean, still to this day, it gets ten to you know fifteen or, or more than that Google searches of people that are felons asking, you know, typing in Google the question, you know, what states restrict my Second Amendment rights as a felon? So obviously, it's it's you know restricting on your your natural right to defend yourself, really, to defend your life and your property. That's taken away when you become a felon. There's some states that will allow you to own a flintlock or a muzzleloader firearm, which is basically what was used in the Revolutionary War or the Civil War. But you know, modern-day weapons basically are off-limits to felons. Felons lose the right to vote. I know Rand Paul has... I'm not sure if he ever submitted the legislation, but I know it's been talked about a lot. Uh, maybe uh, our resident Rand Paul expert, Brian McWilliams, could... Uh, could chime in on that at some point later. That could be a plug for our next week's feature where we will do a podcast on Brian McWilliams' running series, Rand, Paul Lusses, and Minuses. So tune in for that next week. Thanks for the plug, Odie. Always, always plug in. I like it. Always plug in. That's, that's why we hired you. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I mean, that's, that's losing your right to vote. I mean, you're, you know, and you, libertarians have, you know, different thoughts on voting and, you know, that's, that, that's all well and good, but in a society that we call a democracy where you're supposed to be able to you know vote to, you know it's supposed to be the will of the people i mean we can all question that we won't get into that now but to take that away is is a ridiculous thing and then just i mean the other consequences that you you have that forever attached to you on a lot of job applications you have to check if you're a felon in a box some states have uh, have done away with that um, I think Michigan is one. There's there's a handful of states that have taken that requirement away, at least for uh, government work. But it, it it really follows you everywhere. And I've found just people in the general public just look at you differently when they find out you're a felon. And that's to me that's ridiculous, especially if your if your felony is related to a nonviolent act like you know selling illegal plant or something like that. But it's it's life changing and. Hopefully, it's something that people are starting to become aware of about just how ridiculous it is, especially for these nonviolent offenders. Another thing people often don't think of, and and this might apply more to people that are in the middle of custody disputes and that kind of thing. If you're a felon and you're in any kind of custody dispute, you're probably not going to see your kids. Um, now, one guy, I don't, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the case of Brian Aitken, a guy in New Jersey who was basically, he was sentenced to, I think it was 10 years in jail for literally legally owning guns and, and transporting them between one residence to another. But they used a, a crazy little loophole in the law to try to convict him. And he was sent to jail. But luckily, Chris Christie, the governor of New Jersey, well, he's at least on one thing, right? Because he did, the term isn't pardon, but he basically commuted his sentence and got Brian Aitken out of jail. But to this day, and I bring this up because I'm hoping to uh, interview him soon. I've been talking to him. His story really is fascinating. But to this day, he has not seen his child because his his uh, ex-wife has used that against him in court. And he's he has not seen his child in, I think, like four or five years. Uh, he, he hasn't even heard him speak, and he's seven years old. So, What's the name of the book? The book is Blue Tent Sky, and we'll uh, I will link to that in our show notes here, as I will with everything we talk about today. 
Um, so yeah, being becoming a felon can have absolutely drastic ramifications on on people's lives, including many people who have never harmed anyone else, never done anything wrong in what most people would consider the moral sense, and yet it it will ruin their lives in in many ways, or at least drastically alter it. So uh, I think it's important to bring attention to the kinds of things that should be felonies. Now, some things should be felonies, even if we might not agree with all the negative effects of what a felon is. And you know, that's the kind of stuff we'll examine as we go through some of your recent articles. And we're going to start at the beginning of the year, the very first Felony Friday article that you published this year. I'm just going to read you the headline, and you can kick back and try to give me a little summary of, of just what went on there. But this very first article is entitled, Felony Friday, Sheriff Caught Using Badge to Threaten Prostitute into Performing Sexual Acts. Yeah, we're starting with, with, the, with the punchiest headline there. So, Odie, can you tell me, just sum up this case a little bit and tell me exactly what happened in this incident? Yeah, that, that headline pretty much lays it out for you. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but these uh, the cases like this especially really, really annoy me. When you have police officers that are paid to enforce the law, whether you agree with it or not is, is, uh, is one thing, but they're paid to enforce this law, and then they outright break the law. Um, in this case, a police officer in uh, Chicago or outside Chicago in Cook County was caught by other police officers while he was off duty soliciting a prostitute. And apparently this was the second time this had happened or the second time that he had been seen in the area. The first time it was likely just swept under the rug. But things like this are, we see this often in society. And probably if, I mean, I'm making an assumption here, wildly speculating, as we like to say on the uh, Lions of Liberty podcast. We love to wildly speculate. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but stuff like this probably happens pretty often and never sees the light of day. There's probably more to this story than maybe this guy had a serious problem and uh, it was starting to get you know a little bit of maybe notoriety in the local community and and they had to do something to get this guy off the force. I mean, you know, the police will will always say in circumstances like this that it's you know just a, a few bad apples. And, you know, maybe maybe this guy is, you know, just one of the few bad apples in the great state of Illinois, but I, I highly doubt that. Yeah, I mean, it's really bad when we see police that really take advantage of their position to break the law. Now, we probably both agree people shouldn't go to jail just for soliciting a prostitute. I mean, performing a consensual act between two people. And we can get into all sorts of theories about how communities could certainly ban that act and a free society and all that stuff. But in this case... The, the really despicable thing is that he's using his badge, essentially, using his position as a law enforcement officer to threaten this this woman into performing these acts. So now, what might be a consensual act between her and other people, since she is a prostitute, has now become a non-consensual act because she has not chosen to to really perform any of these acts with this person. She's, she's only doing it under the threat of duress. I'm not sure if she actually did anything, but the fact that it's now being sort of forced upon her via threat, and a law enforcement officer obviously has the ability to put someone in jail, or at least threaten someone for jail, and especially when, you know, this person was doing something illegal as a prostitute, for him to use that position, and obviously he doesn't have a moral problem with prostitution, or with, with doing something with a prostitute, since he's trying to do it himself, and it's, it's really that hypocrisy that just, uh, you might say, grinds my gears. Yeah, but according to uh, the woman here, the officer... After she got in the car, the officer showed his holstered handgun. So, if that, I mean, if that's not intimidation and uh, using force, the force of the law for, for your own pleasure, I, I don't know what is. It's really a really disgusting, disturbing story. But, I mean, what, what you were saying before about prostitution, you know, 
different communities or, or areas, you know, if they want to and people consent to it, there's absolutely no issue with people, you know, outlawing prostitution in, in their community. I, I don't have an issue with it, but it's, you know, the statewide ban on prostitution that uh, re- really actually makes makes things more dangerous for the people partaking on both sides, the uh, prostitutes and the Johns that are going for the service or going, going for Sounds, sounds terrible going for the service. But, um, <laughs> it's just another uh, another checkup, right? Getting your yeah. own change, right? But it's just, speaking of that, uh, you can't talk with us without bringing up some recent events with Warren Sapp coming out after the Super Bowl, and doesn't doesn't look good for him. So, M- Mr. Sapp is about is uh, becoming the victim of a a victimless crime law himself, and uh, I did see that he was fired by the NFL Network in his position as an analyst as well. Might not be just a victimless crime. Apparently, he possibly assaulted uh, prostitutes. So yeah. so if that's the case, then then I retract my statement about yeah. the victimless crime. Absolutely. Let's move on now. This, the second article, the second Felony Friday article you wrote this year was, and I like when you do pieces like this, uh, you know, you talked about the Charlie Hebdo tragedy and related to France's gun problem. You know, what would you say is France's gun problem here specifically that that ties into this this incident, this Charlie Hebdo incident, of course, where these journalists that work at the satirical organization, they produce kind of funny little comic strips and that kind of thing. And they, they did one on the, the Prophet Muhammad and some people, I guess, didn't like that. Or we can we can talk about all the reasons it might have really happened. But essentially, these people were murdered. And, uh, you know, a lot of people took the, the non-intervention stance and related that in. And, you know, there's a lot of different angles you can take on this one. But you decided to go and analyze France's gun laws. So how does this relate to what you're trying to do, pointing out felonies and that kind of thing? Well, basically, to compare the gun laws in France to somewhere in the United States, France makes California look like you know one of the most free states in the Union. The gun laws in France are extremely restrictive. You can go to the article, Felony Friday, Charlie Hebdo Tragedy Reveals France's Gun Problem, and I've linked to a couple websites that break down the uh, res- restrictive gun laws more. But even though they have these measures in place to uh, keep guns out of the country and off the streets, they have maybe the largest black market for guns in all of Europe. And that's a uh, common thing. I mean, that's common to when you restrict or prohibit sale of guns. It happens here in the United States in places like um, Illinois and Chicago, where the United States had restricted access to guns. In a state like Illinois where guns are prohibited or it's hard to get a uh, license to, to carry a gun in Chicago. And those laws have laxed a little bit. But what you see is the illegal gun trade thriving because, I mean, you're only going to have really an illegal trade of guns where guns are illegal to be traded. So if, if that makes sense. Absolutely. I'm sure a lot of people would love to just walk into a store and purchase a firearm. But if there are people that feel they need a firearm for whatever reason whether it's because they live in a bad neighborhood, whether because they fear for their own life, whether they have a stalker, or whether they just generally want to have the ability to defend themselves and their family. If they want that ability in France or in Chicago, and like you said, those laws have lacked a little bit, but in a lot of these places where they're restricting how and why and when people can purchase guns, now that's the result. They're going to turn to the black market, and that's only going to expose them to even more danger. Just like you mentioned with the prostitute and the John and the service he wants to get. I'll take the special. Um, when people have these interactions on the black market, it's more dangerous for everybody for a lot of reasons. You know, a lot of people that operate on the black market on the sales side of things, some of them might be have a lot of integrity. 
Others might not. And there are definitely a lot of bad seeds that get attracted to the black market because, you know, that's where bad seeds operate. They don't operate in the public. They operate in the underground. So you're putting people in danger just when they want to acquire something, whether it's prostitution, whether it's a gun, whether it's marijuana. You're putting all these people in danger by making this act illegal or not even this act or this act in the case of prostitution or, you know, this object in the case of a gun or a plant. When you push things to the black market, all you're going to do is create further conditions for violence, whether it's a violent encounter with the police or whether it's a violent encounter with someone you might have a dispute over. I mean, what if you have a dispute over the purchase of a certain gun? What if you buy a gun on the black market and it doesn't work properly and you want to go back to the guy that sold it to you? Well, if he has integrity, he'll give you a refund or get you a new gun. But like I said, not everybody in the black market might have that integrity. That might end with you losing your life if you dispute you know, a transaction on the black market because you can't take it to court. You can't take it to the public venues for sorting out grievances and that kind of thing. So, so that that's really how I see this. And, you know, France is essentially creating felons out of anybody and everybody that would choose to purchase a handgun for their own defense. Yeah. And just one more quick thing to point out here, then we can move on to the next one. But I mean, a lot of people blame, you know, will put blame for this just on the French government restricting their citizens. But that's, I mean, that's really neglecting that. I mean, the French people did elect this government. I mean, the government is representative of their wishes. And even if overnight you gave, you know, the people of France the same gun laws as the United States, uh, I don't think I don't think that much would change because they don't value gun rights as much as people in the U.S. do. And they don't have that same um, belief in freedom, at least I don't think on the same scale that for the most part that a fair amount of people in the United States at least do. It's really an education of, you know, defense of private property, defense of life and the ability to defend yourself that needs to change. Sure, and as we always talk about on the show at our website, at the end of the day, when it comes to changing laws or changing the way people view things, you really need to change the philosophy of the people and the, the philosophy of the individuals. And yeah, if you're in a country where people don't really have that philosophy, which is pretty much every country right now, that's why we have all these felonies we have to talk about, most of which are victimless crimes. You know, if when you have a place where most people don't have that philosophy, you're going to get all sorts of bad laws, laws that infringe on the individual rights of others. We're going to move on to another topic here, our next article. This one is from January 16th, 2015, titled Felony Friday, Officer Feared for His Life Before Shooting 95-Year-Old Man with Beanbags. Now, what what happened there? Now, you say, we say beanbags, you know, you, you have that in the headline. It sounds like, oh, it's a beanbag. Like, no, these beanbags that get shot out of these, like, beanbag guns, these are painful things. These things can do serious damage to people. So let's not gloss over that. But why don't you tell us exactly what happened here? Yeah, so basically this uh, 95-year-old man, this is also, surprise, surprise, outside of Chicago, suburban Chicago. Might be a problem with the police there. Maybe. Um, But this 95-year-old man is in a uh, nursing home, and he was instructed or his doctors had told him that he needed to go for some surgery for a procedure. And he didn't want to go. He's 95 years old. I'm not going to tell a 95 year old man what to do if you don't. If you don't want to go to the hospital, all right, buddy. You know, just hang out here. That's it's fine. You're 95. You can do what you want. But anyway, they, you know, were insistent that he go. And in the process of trying to um, get him corralled and you know get him into a van to take him to the hospital, he uh, barricaded himself in his room at this assisted living home. And, of course, as so many people are more and more likely to do today, they called the police at the first sign of trouble rather than, you know, thinking this through and, you know, thinking how, how to best defuse the situation without involving the police. But they, uh, they did not. And the police showed up. 
and you know, they had this uh, beam bay gun, and they had you know, other weapons. They had obviously their firearms. They had a, a stun gun, a ballistic shield. You know, just looking at this from a common sense perspective, you see all these heavily armed cops showing up at a nursing home to restrain a 95-year-old man. It's just just a ridiculous image to to put in your mind. But anyway, these cops went into this living facility, and apparently the, the officer who ended up being charged here actually said that he was fearful, he was afraid of the 95-year-old man because he had a cane and a knife. They don't, they don't say what kind of knife it was. I mean, what kind of, how's he going to get a real knife in a nursing home? It's probably like a, a butter knife or something. Right. I don't think they have like giant steak knives just laying around that these guys can grab. Yeah, I, w- I would doubt it. But it, anyway, so this officer's afraid for his life and unloads several rounds of uh, these little, I mean, you say beanbags. Yeah, it makes it sound softer than it is. But I mean, those things will, you know, well, they, they ended up killing this man. He died from internal bleeding from being hit with the beanbags. Um, just an incredibly sad story, and it, the uh, original article, and it's it's linked to ABC News where I read this. They kind of like sort of make an excuse, not an excuse, but they say, "Well, this this old man, he could have gone for surgery after being shot by his police officer, and probably would have survived." But I mean, that's that's just that's that's just ridiculous. I mean, right, after being shot, they said he. I mean, was he refusing surgery after he got shot too? I guess is that what they're saying? Yeah, after he was shot, he could have had surgery. That's what the reporter said. I guess doctors had said maybe the the internal bleeding could have been um, halted if, if some manner. I don't know how they would well, have yeah, done Yeah, but there, there shouldn't have been internal bleeding to halt in the first place. Exactly, exactly. But, and look, and maybe he did need whatever medical procedure they wanted him to take. But, I mean, this in a way it kind of reminds me of this girl in Connecticut who didn't want to uh, get her chemotherapy that they were forcing. And they eventually did force her to get, uh, you know, Look, as a 95-year-old man, maybe he's just done. Maybe he doesn't want to have any more medical procedures in his life. Maybe, he, I mean, for whatever reason. And you might even argue he's not mentally capable of making uh, that decision, maybe based on his mental state. And maybe you can argue family members and people in the home should have, you know, had ways to try to get him to get this surgery. But when people call the police, now you're taking it into law enforcement. Law enforcement is always violent because to enforce a law, you have to use violence because you're, you're enforcing it. You know, there's no way other way around it. I don't know what law they were enforcing here. This doesn't even sound like a situation where the police should have ever been called at all. My point of view, because police are, are trained. I mean, it says here, it's really kind of funny how you phrase this or, or I guess how they phrased it. You know, it says the prosecutors were quick to point out that the group of police officers arrived with firearms, stun guns, a ballistic shield, common sense, and training and subduing subjects. Now, I'm sure, I believe all the other stuff. I believe they got there with firearms, stun guns, and a ballistic shield, but I'm not so sure about the common sense, and I'm not sure how well their training is in subduing. Well, I mean, their training to subdue someone truly who's like a violent criminal might be great, but come on, this is a 95-year-old man who just doesn't want to go to the hospital, and you cannot apply the same, I guess, procedures to that person as you would someone who's like holding a, a school full of children hostage or something like that, and it seems like they kind of treat anyone in the same way, you know? you're a suspect or whatever, you know, we're going to come get you. At least they use the beanbags, you might say, and not actual bullets. That's maybe the only thing you could uh, you could compliment them for, but those beanbags ended up killing him. Sad to me when people just call the police as their first, you know, first line of resort, or really at all in some situations that shouldn't shouldn't involve the police at all, and this doesn't sound like a situation that should have involved police whatsoever. Yeah, perhaps on a uh, later episode of Libertarians in Living Rooms Drinking Liquor, we can dive into this 
mean, it's really throughout society that people are so quick to call police. And where does that come from? Is it from being educated to do that? We're educated to do that as, as young kids growing up. You know, the police come into our classrooms and, you know, call us if you need anything. But I'm not sure when our society just went off this cliff that at the first sign of a noise complaint or anything, you immediately pick up the phone and call police. It's it's something that's that's got to change. Yeah, I mean, even you and I were in college together. We lived in the same fraternity house. And there would be noise problems from time to time. There would be conflicts with other people from time to time. But it was very, very rare that anyone would call the police. Usually we would end up going and talking to some people at a different house or, or what have you and eventually sorting it out. Or things would get sorted out in some other way. But it was very <laughs> rare that somebody would call the police. It, if the police were called, it was usually because they were driving by and patrolling the neighborhood and might have seen something going down or you know, or some other busybody type person called the police. And, and I'm not saying that there are not circumstances where police should be called to intervene uh, in a fight or a conflict of that kind of thing. But to me, I mean, this kind of stuff, conflicts between neighbors, conflicts with like a 95-year-old man, like... The police should be the absolute last line of resort. And it seems like today, for so many people, for every situation, a noise complaint or what have you, the police are the first line of resort. And whenever we create a possibility for an encounter with the police, we're creating uh, a possible violent encounter. And sadly, that's what happened here. Uh, now, Odie, I've got a couple more stories I want to go over with you. But first, we've got to take a minute to give a little love to our sponsors at Health Excellence Select. Now, until last year, I was just like you guys. I saw my health insurance cost double and my deductible skyrocket thanks to the Obamacare health insurance mandates. Determined not to participate in this corporatist scheme, I sought an alternative and found out about health sharing, a fantastic concept in which your monthly fees go directly to pay the medical bills of others, not into the pockets of some crony capitalist fat cat. Health Excellence Select combines health sharing with a patient care personal assistant, 24-7 phone access to board-certified physicians, and discounts on dental, vision, and other benefits. The best part is that for most people, plans with Health Excellence Select are much more affordable than Obamacare insurance, and it meets the legal mandate, so you will not be fined for using it in lieu of insurance. For more information, head on over to lionsofliberty.com health. All right, Odie, and, and the next story I want to take a look at here in our little journey through the last uh, five weeks or so of your Felony Friday column title of this one is police in north dakota are concerned that pot may become legal so uh do they have cause for concern here the police in north dakota what's what's going on with this well they certainly believe they have cause for concern but the the way this came about so there's a uh, a senator out there in north dakota senator caroline maybe carolyn i'm not sure how you what the difference is there but carolyn nelson she submitted some some legislation to uh, lessen the charges associated with possessing marijuana in North Dakota, taking it to a small fine rather than throwing someone you know in a cage and charging them with a felony for possessing a plant. Um, but um, the, apparently, the uh, police in North Dakota have a, a bit of a bit of a sway with the uh, legislators there, and Police Chief Mike Ritten completely wholeheartedly disagrees with this, and he's afraid. That uh, you know, that, that legalizing marijuana could lead to to worse things. Could lead to you know people driving high and um, you know maybe uh, people with the munchies robbing convenience stores. God knows what. <laughs> Did he actually say that one? <laughs> no, I, I made that. Point. I like to imagine that was an actual. Like he's I picture him in a press conference with like you know he's pointing to a picture of Cheetos or something. He's like, and they might be going after these. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's it's that ridiculous though. I mean, it's not that far fetched to to look at it that way. I don't think. I mean, it's a utilitarian outlook, but you can look at what just happened 
in Colorado with it legal and what changed? I mean, maybe the people in Colorado have more hippies living there than they want to. But other than that, I mean, I don't think the murder rate has gone up. Sounds like the hippies were already there in Colorado, I'm pretty sure. But um, And I wonder if this this character, this uh, written character, uh, if he is calling for, is he calling for the uh, prohibition of alcohol as well? No, he's he's not calling for the prohibition of alcohol. Oh, very interesting. He's very also interesting. not, you know, he's not going after, you know, drivers that get out there on the road sleep deprived or people that are operating their vehicles under, you know, using pharmaceutical drugs. He's not talking about any of that. Just uh just the marijuana. So specifically, marijuana is one of those drugs that he's actually concerned about. Not all the other things that are legal, like you said, the prescription drugs. I mean, there there's these drugs like soma. I I know someone who used to take soma, and he woke up in his car once, having drive having driven it in his sleep. What? <laughs> yeah. Through a drive-thru. He woke up in a drive-thru. He's dr- I'm not kidding. Fun. He wasn't drunk. All he had done was take this Soma, and he was in kind of like a dream-like state, and maybe was sort of sleepwalking, but like coherent enough in the dream-like state to like perform the functions of the vehicle. He was hungry. Yeah. Perfectly legal, what he took. I mean, that, that that's so uh, crazy. If he, uh, he, Maybe he had a joint first. I don't know. No. Um, <laughs> I mean, yeah, but but I mean, it's just it's it's really crazy the hypocrisy and the way they focus on they really seem to focus on the drugs that are illegal at the federal level because they can get money for that they get money for drug busts and that kind of thing and it really just proves to me that his stance that there there is not a uh, there's no moral philosophy here there's not even a really a consistent utilitarian philosophy because he doesn't look at the legal stuff and the other things he could be looking at said he's targeting marijuana which of all the things we've mentioned of soma of alcohol even i think marijuana is from the uh, sort of uh, utilitarian point of view the least harmful of all these things so it really is a, a great hypocrisy and i think there are luckily there are a lot of police officers that are starting to really understand this i, I know you heard my interview a few weeks ago with rayford davis the former police officer who is now an outspoken uh, opponent of the drug war because of the things he saw on the ground i'd love to hear rayford davis debate this uh, this written character actually maybe maybe i'll try to set that up hey maybe you never know you never know you do never um, know that uh that rayford davis interview was was awesome i really did enjoy that one but I mean, it's, I think what surprises me the most about this article here or this situation in North Dakota, I should say, is just how open this police officer is just because the moral argument is so weak. There really is no moral argument. There's no utilitarian argument. It just sounds absurd. But I mean, it, it's just it's a small logical jump to see that this guy just wants more funding. It's so obvious. And how much longer can this last in states like North Dakota or Pennsylvania, or any of these states that are that are slow to uh, even you know pass legislation for medical marijuana. Crazy stuff, man. And um, our last story, your last story that you wrote at the end of January here, is entitled "Michigan Lawmaker Proposes Bill to Protect Sports Officials." Now, this is really interesting, Odie. Can you tell me exactly why this lawmaker here in, in Michigan feels that? Sports referees, I guess, need some sort of special protection. Are, are, are these a, a often chastised and abused uh, segment of our society that's that's going uh, kind of unprotected here? What, what's the deal with this thing? Well, what I think happened here is uh, legislators and you know, some people in the state getting caught up in, uh, in the emotions of a, a terrible tragedy. The senator who submitted this legislation, Senator Morris Hood III, very official name there. Um, he's a Democrat 
um, from Detroit. Morris Hood the Third. I lo- I love that name. He sounds like he should play like a an aristocrat in some uh, some sitcom or or movie or something. Or the the, yeah. the evil aristocrat. <laughs> Morris Hood the Third. Maybe the name has gone to his head a little bit here because he's proposing legislation um, that would make it a felony to assault a sports official, being a a referee, an umpire, um, anything like that um, from a sporting event. And this stems from about a year ago, um, there was a soccer game, an adult soccer league up in uh, Michigan. And what happened was there was an altercation between one of the players and the referee and the player ended up punching the referee in the head and knocking him out. And the referee actually um, tragically died a couple of days later. So that's it's a tragic event. But the man here who, who punched the uh, referee is still working his way through the criminal justice process. He's been charged with second-degree murder. But looking at what, what they're trying to do here with this law, you know, they're trying to deter you know, people from attacking referees. I didn't know it was a problem. Um, obviously, in this situation, it, it something terrible happened. Hopefully, this this guy will be uh, convicted, um, assuming the story is true and he did punch this guy in the head. Hopefully, he's convicted and he pays for his crime. But there's no need to somehow separate referees and put them on a, a plateau on a on a pedestal above the rest of society. And uh, punching them is um, almost the same as punching a police officer who are also on a pedestal above the rest of rest of society. And, uh, it's, it's just, uh, it's just bad practice to, to go down that route. Um, maybe the intentions, you know, I'm not the intentions, I guess, aren't good, but it's, it's, it's an emotional reaction to a tragic event. And, um, hopefully this law doesn't pass. Yeah. I don't understand really even the purpose of the law because, you know this guy that that punched the referee and killed him. I mean, he's he's being charged with second degree murder. That is a felony. I mean, he's. I don't see how this law would even change this this case. Really, it says you know the bill said it would make assaulting a referee a felony punishable by up to three years in prison and a ten thousand dollar fine. So not to cut you off, but yeah, go cut away. But I, I mean, just to play, you know, just to be devil's advocate here to play along with the probably. I'm assuming the thought process of the uh, the legislator here and the. The people who came to him with the law or asked for the law, I think they're assuming or hoping that if this law had been in place before this event happened, that this guy Basile Saad, who punched the referee, would have thought ahead of time, "Wait a minute, I can't punch this referee. I'll get a felony charge." Did he think that assault was already? I mean, isn't assault already a felony? It might be a misdemeanor in certain cases. I'm not really sure, but I don't think he thought assault was legal before. You know, exactly, exactly. It's 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 terrible logic, but you know that's that's what we're dealing with in a lot of society. It certainly is. That that it seems to be the the running theme with Felony Friday is the lack of logic applied to some of these cases. The lack of any kind of consistent philosophy. It's really, I mean, a lot of these felonies or the things people want to be felonies in this case are just targeting people for, you know, the whims of whatever people want to make illegal. It's not based on a consistent protection of individual rights. It's not based on any sort of consistent political philosophy. In many ways, what someone can do to become a felon is is random. Or I mean, it's it's as random as the arbitrary whim of legislators and, and the citizens that demand a lot of these laws. You know, these laws don't just puff up out of nowhere. Um, so, Odie, we've, we've gone through a lot of these articles. I hope people that have not been familiar 
with this article, Felony Friday. We'll start checking it out every single Friday. That's tomorrow for the people that are listening to their Lions of Liberty the day it comes out here, here on Thursday. So check out a new article tomorrow if you're just listening to this on Thursday on at lionsofliberty.com, a new Felony Friday every single Every single Friday, <laughs> as the article implies. Now, Odie, before I let you go, why don't you give me this last pitch for people why they should check in with you every single week on Felony Friday? Why should people check back here? Well, I think it's important. I think there's there's a lot of people in society suffering, especially being convicted and now uh, nonviolent felons. They're, they're nonviolent felons. And it's, it's following them throughout their lives. This is something that hopefully we can change. Um, I was I was shocked. I've been shocked to see you know, there's a number of people looking for information on um, the rights of felons, Second Amendment rights, voting rights, seeing how many people were, were interested in that. So there are a lot of people out there, a lot of felons looking for more information. So we're trying trying to provide more information there and trying to provide more information to the general public. And one more thing I'd like to add, if you do, if you have a story in your local community that you think is a candidate for Felony Friday or, you know, anywhere in the world that you think is a candidate for Felony Friday, you can shoot me an email at john at lionsofliberty.com or just jump on our uh, Facebook page, our Lions of Liberty Facebook page. That's Facebook slash Lions of Liberty. I think that's that's it, right, Mark? I think. Facebook.com slash Lions of Liberty, yep. Yeah, I, th- I think the, the kids out there know how to Facebook. So. Probably, hopefully, hopefully they do by now. You can find us on Twitter, too, of course, at Lions of Liberty. And, Odie, since you started it up, why don't you tell us about this new thing we've got going on, too? It's called the Lions of Liberty Forum over on Facebook. Yeah, so the Lions of Liberty Forum, you know, we've had a, uh, a Facebook page for quite a while, and our numbers are growing there. But we wanted to interact a little bit more with people and give – you know, some of our the people that, that read our stuff, a uh, avenue, a vehicle to communicate with us and, you know, bring up, uh, you know, discussion points, articles, you know, make statements, ask questions. We just wanted to, to interact more and really and really reach out. So that was my thought bringing it up. Um, is there anything that, uh, that you were thinking, Mark? That about sums it up, but I mean, I think another important thing is is how Facebook is constantly changing its algorithm. I know a lot of people that, uh, you know, like our page, our Facebook page, they don't always see our articles. Uh, I think it's getting even more restrictive right now. So they're basically trying to make everyone pay to boost their posts for people to see them. And that's all well and good. Facebook can do that. They, they need to make money somehow. But if you come and join the forum, you'll see all this stuff appear in your news feed and you'll be able to really engage with us better, join the conversation. And that, that's what this is all about. We got to have a conversation if we're ever going to change the world, which is in a way what we're trying to do here. So I do encourage you to do that. And I, of course, encourage you to keep checking out Felony Friday. Odie, thanks for coming on with me. It's been a blast. We will do it again fairly soon. And I hope you guys come back to me next week. On Tuesday, I'm going to be speaking with Carrie Wedler. A lot of you might know her from a viral video she made where she burns her last bridge with Obama. She burns her Obama is my homeboy t-shirt. That is a video that went viral, and she is now a a active libertarian activist, active on YouTube, active on her own blog. A uh, really cool girl. Are you, are you familiar with that video, Odie? Do you remember seeing that? I'm, I'm going to sound like the worst Lines of Liberty podcast fan ever, but I did not realize you landed her. That's a, that's a big yeah. get there. That was a viral video. There that's you awesome. go. Well, and until then, folks... You know what I'm going to ask by now. Odie, join in if you want, but there's only one thing we need from our fans until next week, and that is to live long and And live free. free. And if anything you ask me, John Dobbins.